This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 32 of World to Win. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and also click the bell button so you can get uh, notified when we go live or when we upload a new video. And of course, please share and comment and like this video. That way we can reach as many people as possible. Uh, this episode, we're gonna start a kind of two-parter about International Women's Day, which I'm very, very excited about. So this is gonna be about the origins and there's so, so in, like, such incredible origins and socialist origins to this day. Um, so we're going to start talking about the, the origins of International Women's Day and then next episode we're going to talk about the Me Too movement. So I think it's really important that we kind of take a look at the history of this day but also take a look at the kind of more recent struggles that we've seen. Um, but before we start, make sure to comment with something. So what are your plans for International Women's Day this year? We really want to know, obviously, usually we all go out, go to a protest, go to a talk. But what are you doing this year when we in most places can't do that? Is there an interesting Zoom meeting that you're going to? And if you don't have plans, wait till the end because uh, ev almost every section of the International Socialist Alternative has something for you. So you can go there too. Um, so um, before we start, I obviously want to say hello to my co-host Toya. So how are you doing Toya? How's it going, Yara? It's good to see you. I'm really excited for this two-part special we have going on. I'm really excited too. It's so exciting. I, lo I love talking about women's struggles and socialist feminism because I feel like that is the thing that brought me into socialism. Yeah, you've said that before. It's super interesting. I mean, we all come to these ideas um, through different means and, you know, especially over the past four or five years, we saw with Trump the rise of the Me Too movement. And I think a lot of, especially young women, um, really have been drawn to the ideas of socialism. And I think it's going to be great for us to talk about the differences between kind of this liberal corporate feminism versus working class socialist feminism, um, which, you know, may seem a little confusing, but I think our, our, our two episodes are really going to dive in deep. And so um, I'm really excited to, to talk to our two speakers. I'm really excited too. So I'm going to start us off. Um, so, you know, International w uh, Women's Day is on the 8th of March, is just over a week away now. And in recent years, I think it's been really a day of mass struggle around the world with millions taking to the streets uh, to fight against gender violence, against sexual harassment uh, and against sexism generally and obviously reproductive rights uh, that have been a ma major issue around the world in the past few years. But, and, and it's still a day of mass struggle for a lot of women and particularly I think in Latin America and South Asia, also parts of Europe as well, but it's also kind of been taken up by the ruling class and it, it, they kind of rebranded it as uh, a day to challenge bias and like, you know, just show how much you're a girl boss to everyone. And you know, everyone, everyone's been kind of send these emails throughout their working lives about getting a discount to a cosmetics brand for International Women's Day, which don't get me wrong, I love discounts, but this is not the essence of this day. And t the way that it's been taken up with the ruling class goes against everything that it stands for and also where it started. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, we have uh, 
International Socialist Alternative members from the US. Uh, so we have uh, Megan here from Socialist Alternative in the US. Hi, Megan. And we also have Katya from uh, the International Socialist Alternative in Ireland in Socialist Party. Hi, Katya. Hey, how you doing? Great. So I want to start us off with maybe a general question. So Megan, can you explain a little bit about what is actually the history of International Women's Day? Is it about cosmetics, discounts, or is it about something much bigger than that? Yeah, so talking a little bit about the history where it developed, I think we should look at the conditions that kind of laid the ground for the first International Women's Day. Um, so we're talking like early 20th century uh, working conditions for working class women for everyone um, that was working class at the time, um, conditions were bad. <laughs> uh, the Industrial Revolution had like kicked off at this point. Um, women were very much a part of that. So some of these strikes and demonstrations that we were going to see in this period, um, a lot of them came out of the textile factories because that's where women were mostly employed. Um, they were garment workers. So um, I'll, I'll try and talk about like the time period between like 1909 and like 1917. Um, but yes, textile workers were forced to work in just atrocious conditions. Um, they were subjected to long hours, uh, their wages were dismal, their factories were unsanitary, unsafe. Work sites would actually like lock their doors to limit workers from leaving early or taking breaks. Um, so a lot of these places were just sweatshops. Uh, and a large portion of these women were also young, unmarried, um, often immigrant women. And that's kind of where this internationalism comes into play. There were Polish, Italian, Irish, German, Jewish workers that were bringing their socialist backgrounds onto the American factory floor. Um, so they were both like economically oppressed at this time and also politically oppressed. Um, women's suffrage movement was in full swing. Uh, and Katya was telling me about this yesterday, but Frederick Engels talked about women um, having been oppressed in other social systems before. I think. Patriarchy is probably the prime example, but capitalism offered this contradiction to women where you have a totally oppressive system that you're working within, but it also gives you this basis to get organized and to fight against that very system. Um, so we have the year 1909. We have the first National Women's Day in the U.S. Um, this was organized by women in the Socialist Party of America. Uh, and then in that same year, we had one of um, the largest textile worker strikes or uprisings um, in the history of America up until that point, um, the uprising of 20,000. That was where New York City's shirtwaist factory workers um, and members of the International Ladies Garments Workers Union went on strike, um, and they were demanding better pay, shorter hours, just improved working conditions. Um, and they did win some of their de demands, which I think is really important. But that was in the same year. Um, following that year, where it becomes this international phenomenon, I guess, is when um, the International Women's Conference or International Socialist Women's Conference met in Copenhagen. Um, German delegates were inspired by these American socialists and said, we should also push for a Women's Day. Um, this wasn't just to be cute or commemorative, though. I think that's important to realize. This was used as a strategy to promote equal rights and suffrage for women. Um, so not just, you know, a day for the ladies. Um, and then, yes, shockingly, in the next year, um, we had this 
I say shockingly sarcastically, but the textile workers that were basically striking two years before um, then faced the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, um, in which almost 200 women either burned alive or jumped to their deaths um, because their bosses locked the doors so they couldn't leave. Um, working class women saw that years before and called that out, um, and yet this still happened because they were working within um, this god-awful capitalist system. So um, I would say 1912, there was also the Bread and Roses strike that was led by Polish women that walked out of their textile factories, um, and that was in Massachusetts. And then I think the one that really put International Women's Day in the spotlight was March 8th, um, 1917, the day that Russia would celebrate, um, where Russian women from the textile industry uh, started a demonstration, took over the whole capital of St. Petersburg, Petrograd, and this began the February Revolution, which was the beginning of the Russian Revolution. So that was huge. Um, I don't know how we could even separate International Women's Day from an event like that, because uh, it's so exciting. Um, they wanted to end World War One, food shortages, czarism, um, and Trotsky later said that like they knew that Women's Day was happening, but they did not think it would inaugurate the revolution. So I think that was something really cool. Um, but yeah, International Women's Day has spread across the globe, is still celebrated with radical roots in some countries, but has taken a very different form, as Toya and Yara were kind of talking about, um, in other in other places where it's been like commercialized, corporatized, um, and politically watered down. Yeah, I totally agree, Me uh, Megan. International Women's Day definitely takes on different forms all across the globe. I kind of get a little jealous when I see our sections in other countries and the big, huge events that happen for International Women's Day. Whereas in the U.S., the the uh, holiday itself has just recently gotten. Um, you know, kind of big and very much corporatized. Um, and it's it's disappointing, but I think that there is definitely a mood for especially young women to kind of take control of this holiday and really um, have discussions and, and, and talk about what it truly is. So over the past few decades, there have been debates within the feminist movement about things like whether, you know, someone like Hillary Clinton or now we have Kamala Harris getting elected um, are the figures that we should look up to. And then even figures like Beyonce, you know, like she's one of the richest women in the U.S., like. I guess that's probably a stretch to say because, you know, she's with Jay-Z, but she has millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars and all of these women-owned businesses that are being started up. And, you know, so younger, uh, you know, younger girls have someone to look up to and say, I can, I can um, strive for that. I can, I can get elected to office. I can make a lot of money. I can start my own business. Um, but, you know, this idea of more women coming into power and, and getting more money and, and, and starting businesses um, isn't necessarily what we in International Socialist Alternative talk about um, when we're talking about feminism. Um, that doesn't mean that Kamala Harris becoming vice president isn't a huge deal. It is a huge deal. Um, and many women looked at this as a step forward in the feminist movement. Um, but I want you, Megan, to get into this topic a little bit. You know, these types of debates about whether electing women to office and women starting their own businesses um, is that true feminism. This this type of debate isn't new. Um, and similar issues have been raised in the movement for 
over a hundred years. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what kind of debates and divisions existed in the earlier stages of the women's movement um, before we saw these kind of mainstream women's organizations um, kind of take over and working women's struggle? Yeah, uh, that is, I think we would still call that feminism, but it is distinctly bourgeois feminism or liberal feminism is I think the common term that people are using at least present day. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is we did see outside of feminism as well, um, this division between like social reform versus socialist revolution. Um, and I think the example that I think of first is the suffragettes um, that were a part of that bourgeois feminism in the early movement um, coming up against working class women that obviously wanted the right to vote as well, uh, but their demands didn't end there, which I think is important. Um, and they were in solidarity with working class men, as opposed to many of the like suffragettes that saw their oppression stemming from like a difference in gender and not class. Um, the reforms that the suffragettes and other liberal feminist groups were pushing for didn't really exist with a protest, like a, um, proletarian revolution in mind, I guess. Um, when they won the right to vote, what would they do with that vote? They would likely fight for causes that affected women in the bourgeois and wealthy classes um, who were not making that connection between gender and class oppression. Or if they did make that connection, they recognized that because of their wealth, they benefited from that type of feminism. Um, and obviously, when bourgeois or liberal feminists did insert themselves into working class women's movements, um, it resulted in often holding that movement hostage with their finances, or they co-opted the movement or sabotaged the movement or took credit for the movement's work um, that stemmed from working class mass action, uh, mass strikes, demonstrations. Um, so fighting against gender oppression and for women's liberation, back then, socialist feminists knew it had to be part of the greater fight for liberation of the working class from the grips of the capitalist class. Um, it's not on the basis of women versus men, and that can't really be, women's liberation can't really be fully achieved in a capitalist system. Um, and that is what they were, what socialist feminists were proposing or fighting for back then. Um, and I still think that's the question today. Yeah, thanks so much, Megan. The idea that, you know, we're gonna be able to have women's liberation under this oppressive system um, is something that we talk about a lot, whether it be for, um, you know, fighting sexism, fighting for black liberation, queer liberation. Um, you know, we have to acknowledge that it's the capitalist system that um, uh, forces this oppression down on us. And so ultimately, if we want to end sexism and we want to see women's liberation, we do have to end capitalism because that's what's bringing it, uh, that's what's bringing it upon us. Um, but I want to go back and talk a little bit more about some historical um, figures that were in the earliest socialist movement. Um, and there are many, um, but one key figure in the early um, women's movement was Clara Zetkin. Um, and she was a member of the socialist movement in Germany. Um, and she was a central figure in the fight for demands of working women in the movement, um, opposing the approach of the mainstream suffrage movement that fought on the economic interests of middle-class white women. Um, and it's very similar to what we saw here in the, in the U.S. as well. 
um, because, you know, it was a system of fighting for, for women to be able to vote, but without fighting the capitalist system um, as well. So Katya, can you tell us a little bit about who Clara Zetkin was um, and the role that she played in the early women's movement? Clara Zetkin is an incredibly inspiring person, actually, you know. Um, she first got active in Germany in 1890 in the socialist movement after a period of exile. Um, and this is a period where being a socialist was still really, really difficult, right? It had just about become legal for men, um, but you were still, you know, there was lots of state uh, uh, repression and so on against uh, anybody involved with the socialist movement. But for women, you weren't even allowed to be politically active, leave alone be a socialist, until 1907, right? And in this context, Clara Zetkin points to the fact that, as uh, Megan earlier said, lots of working class women are being brought into the workforce, are being forced out of the home for the first time in, in history, really, um, and finding themselves working in factories and so on. And it leads to a huge radicalization of working class women, right? And a lot of people in the, in the socialist movement actually don't really recognize that, or they definitely don't want to deal with it, right? And because they're men, to be very blunt about it, right? Um, so a lot of men in the socialist movement kind of go, well, but this is a problem, you know, because those women, they get paid less than working class men and actually they're undercutting wages. And you know what? As socialists, we should argue that women need to be forced back to the home. Where actually Clara Zetkin says, no, you know, this is completely the wrong approach. And she gets support from the left wing of the movement saying, what we need to do is organize women to make sure that they get better wages and if their conditions and wages improve, the wages and conditions of all of the working class will improve. And that's her approach to, to all the work she does, right? She wants to bring women into the socialist movement, get them to be fully active, to be fully, you know, cater, uh, uh, that understand all the issues of the day and really intervene within the socialist movement, but also take up women's issues and point to the differences between the bourgeois feminists and a socialist approach to issues that affect uh, women, women's oppression uh, and, and, and women's liberation. And suffrage is obviously a very big one in that period, but there's many others as well. And around suffrage, she writes quite a bit, right? And she really exposes on a practical level that the bourgeois feminists who might be saying that they have the same goal as the socialist feminists who are fighting for, for universal suffrage actually don't. Because bourgeois feminists, yes, they're fighting for a vote for them, <laughs> But that's the end of their campaign, really. The end of, of what they want is to have a vote to protect their own wealth, their own property, their inheritance rights to the next generation. Where actually for socialist feminists, fighting for universal suffrage is a way of assisting working class people to be more involved in politics. But obviously to be more involved in politics, to, f to fight for working class um, rights, to fight for a change in society, to fight for a revolutionary overthrow of a system that is so oppressive for all of us, you know. There's many other examples as well, and I just want to give one, right, um, where bourgeois feminists very much highlight the need for legal equality between men and women. It's that kind of very binary age, you're talking the end of the 19th century here, right? Um, and they only want legal equality, that's it. Where actually, when Zetkin starts organizing working class women, she realizes this actually doesn't reflect reality for working class women, right? Because the reality for working class women is that there's additional burdens on them when they are working on the factory floor. Because there is no maternity leave. Women are literally given birth on the factory floor 
or are being forced back to work within hours of having given birth have no um, you know leave parental leave or any of those things right and that actually fighting for parental leave fighting for maternity leave fighting for free crashes and so on assists working class women uh, you know and that you need protective legislation to allow for for all of those circumstances uh, and she really not just fights for those issues on a practical level but also exposes politically that this comes from a very different point of view where bourgeois feminism is based on some kind of um, idea that there's just a moral deficit amongst men that men morally don't understand that equality is good Zetkin says that, that is not it right what is at play here is that capitalism as a system benefits and breeds opp oppression so if you really want to fight against women's oppression you have to fight the system that breeds it and the only way to do that is to build a united movement of all working class people of all oppressed of all exploited people together to get rid of this system that is doing so so many bad things to all of us yeah i think this is a really important point and i think we've kept repeating it on how important it is to not just you know do the girl, girl power thing and really think about the roots of oppression and how to fight it. And I think you put it in a really good way. And I think also Clara Zetkin was one of the main figures in history who made those connections uh, when this, you know, the, the wave of women's struggle was massive with the suffragette movement. Uh, but I think it also goes both ways. Uh, a lot of the time, I think especially when we go to protests as socialists, when we go to feminist protests, all the times we get this kind of criticism towards us saying, what what is it to do with socialism? And it's really important that we explain this in the way that fem so socialist feminists throughout history have explained it. But I think sometimes there's also this perception that the socialist movement in its own is very workerist. It's not really to do with anything to do with oppression. It doesn't care about women, doesn't care about minorities, etc. And I think Clara Zetkin is a perfect example of fighting it on both ends, going to the feminist movement and fighting for kind of like a socialist approach to the feminist movement, but also going into the socialist movement and fighting for a feminist approach to the socialist movement. So I was wondering if you can tell me more about that as well. It's actually the most important part for us as socialists to find out more about, I think, is this hidden history of an incredible socialist feminist mass movement that developed at the end of the 19th early 20th century like at the height of the movement in germany 175,000 women were organized in women's clubs socialist women's clubs right um the first international women's day in in berlin alone attracted over 1 million working class women and that is not just in Germany. I mean, there's 40,000 women organized in clubs in Austria. In Finland, there's tens of thousands. All over Europe, there's examples of a, truly a mass movement of working class women along socialist lines getting, getting organized in that period. And I think that is thanks to the approach that Zetkin um, advocated in the late 19th century and that, that was then discussed through the socialist uh, um, international, women's international, that starts in the early 20th century to meet every two years and really discusses out a lot of their tactics, a lot of the, the mistakes they made, but also the, the lessons they learned and so on and so forth. And this really uh, real international exchange of experiences, you know. And uh, for me, some of the key things that Zetkin brings to the women's work that she develops, right, is th there's, there's three or four actually that, that stand out for me. One is that, that theoretical clarity of we're not just, uh, you know, 
the ones who walk next to the, the, the bourgeois feminists and, and kowtow in their path. We have our own uh, approach to this, we have our own understanding of where women's oppression comes from and we have our own demands as a consequence and we are a movement by ourselves fighting for working class uh, women's rights right, and for, for the working class as a whole. The second is that she develops a political program that actually speaks to the reality, the lived reality of working class women. So yes, there's the, this constant thing of, of immediately showing solidarity with any of the women who go on strike, helping women to get unionized, helping women to get organized in their workplace and so on. But they also dare to take up those issues that, that maybe weren't so ev evident, especially not in 1901, 1902. Issues like sexual harassment at work, uh, issues like the need for free and public ch childcare, issues like gender stereotyping of children and the effect that has, you know, and you could just see the breadth of issues that, that the movement starts taking up, reflecting the issues that, that, that working class women are talking about and want to know more about, right? Um, the third thing that stands out for me is the international approach. It's always an international outlook, even when the movement is only starting to develop in the late 19th century. Glycite and, uh, and magazines like that, that were fo focused on organizing working class women. Look beyond borders, they, they look at examples of struggle that they can learn from and so on and have this international outlook. And the last thing that stands out for me is how creative they were in their organizational approach, right? So yes, they go to workplaces, they go to the big textile factories and unionize women and so on. But they very quickly also realize actually the majority of working class women at that time aren't necessarily employed in big factories yet. They are employed as domestic workers in, in you know, rich people's homes. They're w working as, as uh, in laundries and so on, you know. And they start reaching out to all those smaller workplaces. They start reaching out to where they can find women in the bread queues and so on. And they start reaching out to working class neighborhoods where they can find women at home and assist women to get active in any way possible. And they produce this magazine, Glykite, I spoke about earlier, which means equality. Um, and it's of a really high political level. If you look at the articles, it, it covers everything. It covers economic perspectives for the next period. It covers, you know, any of the big political questions of the day. What is imperialism? What is the role of imperialism, which was being discussed in the Second International at the time as a whole? It's all covered in this magazine. And it reflects an approach that Zetkin took of, if women are going to get active in this movement, they need to be fully able to engage in any of the discussions that are happening in, in the movement, you know. And where some of the, the, the male leadership of the SPD, for instance, constantly were putting pressure on to literally have knitting uh, patterns in, 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 in glycite or like cooking uh, recipes and this kind of stuff, you know, how to make 20 different things with a potato type of thing, right? Zetkin just completely pushes the opposite direction and says, no, you know, this has to be of a really high political level, assisting women to really politically develop and play a leading role in our party. So we have a, a strong voices of working class women in the movement advocating for on all of those issues. Yeah, I think this is a really important point, seeing kind of the potential, the revolutionary potential that women had. I think we talked about it a little bit about kind of the, the, the role of women in, in the Russian revolutions generally of 1917. And I think this is kind of like the start of it, of radicalization women, uh, radicalizing women and understanding the, the revolutionary potential that women have. So obviously Clara Zakin wasn't the only Social, important socialist feminists that our, our movement has had throughout the years. So uh, we just wanted to focus on her because of that particular role that she had. But I want to know in the comments, 
Who is your favorite like feminist from history? Who is your rev- favorite revolutionary feminist from history? Please let us know. Um, but I, I do want to move on to like another question. Move a uh, move from Clara Zetkin to kind of the women of the revolution because we can't be talking about the twentieth century in that period without giving due focus to the Russian Revolution. Obviously, this was an incredible event that kind of took the power from the hands of the Tsar that ruled for hundreds of years into workers' power and, and created a democratic country, uh, a socialist country for the first time. And obviously, this also had incredible, um, like, Im- an, an incredible impact on women in the, uh, in the Soviet Union because they've started getting so many more rights uh, right to divorce, the right to abortion, things that even today we're seeing aren't as progressive as was in 1917, uh, in, in the period after 1917 uh, in Russia. So I was wondering, Katya, can you tell us a little bit about the role of women in those revolutions and kind of what, what was the impact that they had on the revolution and also on the post-revolutionary period? Women had a huge impact. And that's another thing that isn't talked about enough and not, 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 we're not told about this enough, right? Um, and as an aside, I think that is a point we should register, actually, right? Uh, yes, on the one hand, women are not talked about enough in history, but also the working class isn't talked about when we learn about history. So if you're a working class woman, you stand no chance of getting into a history book, right? Where in reality, there's this enormous richness of, of working class women who played a really important role in building movements that had a massive effect on the course of history, you know? And actually, the, the Bolshevik women are, are a point in case. People like uh, Krupskaya, like Inessa Armand, but also Kolontai, uh, you know, are, are, are people that we don't talk about enough and we actually don't read what they, what they have written enough uh, either, you know? Um, what actually what happened in Russia is that the 1905 revolution, really the dress rehearsal for 1917 in many ways, this first massive outburst of working class anger on the streets of Petrograd and beyond, um, has, a, has a big impact on the, on, the, on the Bolsheviks as a whole, obviously, you know? But one of the things that stands out from 1905 is how important the role working class women played in that movement, you know, how much they were to the fore, how militant they were. So you've got that as a, as a focal point. Oh, we definitely, we need to look towards women and we need to organize women and especially uh, the few Bolshevik women who were there at the time in the movement very much registered that point. And then on the other hand, those same Bolshevik women are also involved in this socialist in the international socialist women's international that Clara Zetkin is setting up and therefore get tips about how the work is being organized in Germany, lessons they can learn from that. And those two experiences to, to, together make that a, a number of Bolshevik women start focusing on trying to organize uh, women in Russia, working class women in Russia from 1907 onwards, but obviously in extremely difficult conditions, underground conditions, you know, much more repressive again than anywhere else in Europe. Um, And actually from 1914 onwards, so in the middle of a war, you can imagine how difficult it was as a socialist to organize in these conditions, right? They start producing, um, there was no paper for one, right? But they start producing, also a magazine very similar to Gleichheit, which I won't even try to pronounce because my non-existent Russian will <laughs> murder it. <laughs> um, but it's very similar in, in terms of its thinking. It's an organizer for working class women. It's exchanging experiences. It's of a high political level. And it's trying to build up uh, you know, confident working class organizers amongst women 
who can go into the factories, who can really, you know, um, assist women to get uh, working class women to get organized and so on, but also to really engage with the politics of the day. And that really, really pays off, right? Because if you look at what happened in 1917, if you look at the February Revolution, as we call it, which started on International Women's Day, as Megan said earlier, um, it's women. It's working class workers, women workers, who come out on the streets first and foremost, and who go to around, literally around from one factory to the other, and calling out uh, workers, uh, and building up demonstrations of hundreds of thousands of people within the first few days of the revolution, right? But there's actually some rare footage that you can look up on YouTube and you will see it is the women in the front and then the men who kind of, you know, literally come flooding out of the factories joining that demonstration. And is there anything more inspiring than, than to see something like that develop, you know? But I think what is as important is that all the way through 1917, there's are ample examples of working class women and the Bolsheviks being key in organizing them, going on strike, organizing mass demonstrations, organizing mass meetings and keeping up the pressure against uh, the, the, the Kerensky regime and also putting up massive pressure when, the, when in the July days there's this reaction happening uh, in Russia, you know. And there's, there's, there's fantastic stories, for instance, of uh, someone like uh, Kolontai getting arrest, arrested in July and within an hour, the police station being completely mobbed by thousands of domestic workers coming out to uh, free her, you know? So that kind of direct action and that idea of, of solidarity, class solidarity, with those people who were there for them to organize them in the first place. And when those people are being persecuted by the state, the working class as a whole coming out to stand up for them, you know? Um, and obviously that leads to, by the time of the October Revolution, women workers playing an important role, but also within the Bolsheviks, there being a female cater, you know, women who are confident about speaking up about any political issue, but also about putting women's oppression on the table and making sure that there isn't just legislation being brought in, but that there's also practical uh, initiatives being taken to assist women uh, to fully participate in, in, in every aspect of life. This has been such a good discussion. It's important that we get into this history. As Katya explained, many working class women never make it into the history books for their their uh, work to fight for, for women's liberation. Um, and Yara asked you to say your favorite feminist, but she didn't ask me who my favorite feminist is. So I'm gonna tell you, Yara, it's Rosa Parks. And so many people, like Katya was saying, don't know the work that um, she did for feminism. She fought for working class women uh, who were working in the houses of, of uh, white people and getting raped by white men. And she organized them um, before she even sat down on the bus. So uh, yeah, make sure you let us know who your favorite feminists are. Um, and the last question I want to ask actually to both of our guests, um, talking about March 8th, which again is International Women's Day. Um, and it's an important day of struggle for the feminist movement around the world. Um, and as socialist feminists today, um, Megan, why don't you start? What lessons do you think that we can learn from the working class roots of the International um, Women's Day and the early women's movement? First, I would say uh, this should be, if you can't do anything because of COVID, educate yourself because I did not know anything about like International Women's Day roots. I knew it was important, but I now know like this cannot be a day that is just like docile, passive 
whitewashed, um, certainly not corporatized or commercialized. This should be a day of action. Um, it should be used as part of our strategy to push for and win demands. Um, and it should be political because it was political in the first place um, with its socialist roots. So I think we also see, just kind of going down the timeline, how dangerous it can be when it loses that class element as well um, and how it can get warped into that girl boss liberal feminism that you all have been talking about. So um, I think that working class women the world over should be empowered by a revolutionary history um, and the victories we've won and are fighting to win. Um, and I don't think we can lose sight of that keyword that we've kept saying is international. It's important to know about women's movements that are happening outside of your own country and show solidarity with working class women wherever they are. Um, that's one nice thing about being in the international socialist alternative. If there is a lull in action in one country, we can also be inspired by what's happening in another. So I think that's really important. Um, yeah. Thanks, Megan. It's so true. And that's why we all, us women, are members of the International Socialist Alternative, because um, it's so important to have that international um, aspect. And I agree. I definitely have been inspired by the women, um, you know, in Poland and Argentina, places like this who are fighting um, for abortion rights. And it's it's uh, solidarity is a is a real huge thing. Um, Katia, though, uh, can you let us know some of your lessons? I think there are so many actually because we see this global feminist movement develop today and you can say on the surface of it oh conditions are very different but really are they if you talk about what COVID is doing to working class women all over the world in terms of putting so much added pressure on both in terms of those women who are frontline workers or women who are losing their job for the moment and being pushed back into the the informal economy plus you know, all the pressures at home that are just multiplying. Um, here in Ireland, we're still in lockdown. I've got two kids that are um, probably not going to school right now as I'm doing this, <laughs> you know, and so on and so forth. Just the pressures are multiplying from every possible angle on women. And I think that it will only make, make sure that this global feminist movement will grow and get more radicalized in the next period. And in that context, us knowing our history you know, going back to this first mass movement of, 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 of socialist movement of working class women that developed, that was truly international, that looked for a strong program, that looked for strong class content, and that made sure that women fully had a voice on all the issues that were important to them, is so relevant for today. And by the way, we're not the first who are looking back to look forward. When, when women picked the 8th of March as the day for International Women's Day, when socialists picked that day, they picked it to commemorate the women of the Paris Commune. Because in the Paris Commune, women played such a, a prominent role. And that was also being whitewashed, being written out of history at the time. So I think for us, we're standing in a very proud tradition of remembering those before us, taking the lessons that they are passing on to us and making sure that we don't make the same mistakes, that, but, but that we build on, on all of the work that has been done by generations of working class women fighting very hard for the rights that we have now and that are being whittled away if we allow it under COVID. Thank you so much, Kay. I think this is a really, really important point that really connects well to what Megan was saying as well. I think we should, like, this was a really, really interesting discussion. I think 
we all learned a lot because the, one of the main things I think like we kept on repeating in this episode is that women are often forgotten even when our role is so important like the role of women with the history of International Women's uh, Day but also with the Russian Revolution and with everything else that came from it so I want to thank you so much and of course anyone who's watching if you are inspired by this if you want to take on this day and make it and, and kind of celebrate it in a way that works with its origins that works with its history please check uh, the description box below we're going to have a list of all of our uh, international socialist alternative activities that we're doing for international women's day there's definitely going to be one uh, around you or in your language at least so please make sure to check it out and uh show uh and 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 kind of show solidarity with women worldwide uh because we need to uh do the same as clara zetkin and as rosa parks and as all of the amazing uh revolutionary feminists and just the work the, the working women that were out on the streets at that time and continue the struggle for complete liberation which can only be done under socialism so thank you so much so now it's time for the shout out of the week and this week it's going to the workers and socialist party in south africa which is our section of the international socialist alternative um the south african Federation of Trades Unions, um, SAFTU, called a national stay away for February 24th. And they were calling on all workers to stay away from work and join demonstrations across the country. So February 24th is the budget speech day, which in South Africa, this means the Minister of Finance comes and presents the budget for the next um, fiscal year to Parliament. Of course, um, as expected, this was an anti-poor, anti-working class budget, and it even included incentives to the rich um, amidst um, skyrocketing unemployment. So in spite of lockdown restrictions, there were socially distanced COVID appropriate actions that took place across major cities. Um, and our um, members in WASP took part in the mobilization before the day um, and actions during throughout the day. Although police brutality um, repressed the demonstration in Cape Town uh, with pepper spray um, and also arresting two union officials uh, who are still awaiting their, their day in court, by the way. Um, our comrades in Johannesburg and Swane took part in demonstrations um, there. And the, there, there was a general mood that this is the starting point of more actions to come. So make sure you uh, pay attention. You can check out our website at internationalsocialist.net. There were multiple demonstrations um, in each big city, which shows that this, this event had huge significance. Um, now this comes after the historic event of October 7th last year, um, when all major trade union federations um, joined the call for a general strike by action to unite and build across all union federations um, with working class communities, with students and with youth. So now I'm going to show you a quick clip of our member in Demisu um, talking in Swane. Oh, <laughs> 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 
Comrades, we are here today to offer support to Zaktu. We are here to offer support to Nupso and all of the affiliates of Zaktu. We are saying today, when will the war on workers stop? Every day the workers are dying. The government is killing workers. People are losing their jobs every day. There are no wage increases. Why? It is us, the workers, who are building the wealth of this country. Why should we not benefit from it? Why are we not benefiting from the wealth that is created by the blood and the sweat of workers? Where we are today, we are saying workers, communities, youth, let us organize and continue this fight. This is not going to end here. As the comrades have said, today we are starting. We are going to continue. Forward, you have to forward! Forward, you have to forward! Thank you. So I want to thank everyone who tuned into our show today. A special thanks to Katya and Megan for joining us. Um, make sure you're subscribed to our channel so that way next week you'll know um, when we post our second part of our two-part special for International Women's Day. And, you know, today we talked about the historical side of International Women's Day. And next week we're going to talk about current movements that are happening around the world. So make sure you tune in. Same time, same place. This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When we fight! When we fight! When they fight! Solidarity!